morning. Uh, let's have a, I don't know, maybe you're, maybe you're confident enough to do this, maybe you're not, but I'm going to give you some opportunity for, for interactive time <laughs> at the beginning of this sermon. Um, anybody feel confident of what, what, what worship is to you? What is worship to you? I'll go ahead and tell you, when I was little, I, you know, worship is one of those, had somebody say one time, as Christians, we have this language that we speak, that if you've been in church long enough, you speak the language and you don't even know you're bilingual. It's called Christianese. And we have words that we use that just kind of fit our vocabulary that nobody's ever really looked up what they actually mean. We just use them. Have you ever noticed that, that this, is, this is what happens sometimes when folks pray and words start coming out of their mouths that they never use in daily conversation and never get defined? But it's just, that's just how we talk. Worship is one of those words that we say we go to worship or we've got, you know, the, we've got morning worship. Or we've got, you, you hear the term praise and worship. You ever heard that? Talk of it like it's a style of music. And, and then sometimes as a pastor, this gets under my skin a little bit. When folks say, okay, now that worship is over, now we'll start the preaching. No, this is still part of worship. Um, what we as Christians need to understand and we'll see in the sermon we're going to look at today or the text we're going to look at today is worship is not something you come to. Worship is not a genre of music. Worship is not a particular hour of the day. It's not even a particular part of what we call a worship service. In fact, maybe that's not even the, the best name uh, for what we're here doing today. Um, the name I prefer for what we're doing here today is called corporate worship because we're all together in one place worshiping. But we'll see today that worship is actually supposed to be an all-consuming lifestyle. It's supposed to be every single part of your life without exception, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Does that sound exhausting? It might, because we're geared to think 24 hours a day, seven days a week of anything is exhausting, right? But what if it was something you were made to do? What if it was something that is actually your purpose for existing? Think about it this way. Does it exhaust you to think about breathing 24 hours a day, seven days a week? No. In fact, you would be exhausted if you did not breathe 24 hours a day, seven days a week, wouldn't you? That would be a problem. Well, humanity was created to worship. It is what we exist for. Say, so, well, I, want to go, I need to go, I need to find myself. I just need to find my purpose in life. Here you go. I'm going to ruin your journey. Your purpose in life right now is to worship God and enjoy Him forever. That's it. That's it. That's the whole shooting match. That's what you exist for. So there, you can save all your money on your, your safaris and your... your Guru tours, you, you can save all that. You were created to worship God and enjoy Him forever. So we're going to look at a scene of what worship done right looks like today and see what we can learn from it. So if you will stand with me out of respect for the reading of God's Word, we're going to read the first 11 verses of the fourth chapter of the book of Revelation. Actually, all 11 verses of the fourth chapter of the book of Revelation. <clears throat> After these things I looked... And behold, the door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. <clears throat> Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he who sat there was like a jasper and sardius stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. 
The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature like a calf. The third living creature had a face like a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within. And they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Father, I pray that you would give us the spiritual eyesight to see just a glimmer of everything that's in this chapter and change us by it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. So there are some parts of this chapter that are absolutely stunningly beautiful, is it not? There are some parts of this chapter that just make you scratch your head and say, huh? What in the world are these things? What are they doing? Why are they there? And can you please explain to me a little bit more about them? Well, we'll get to them, but I want us to look, I want us to zero in on the concept of worship this morning. What does this chapter in Revelation have to say about worship? Because that's what this chapter is about. This chapter is about worship. And we know it's worship done right because it's worship the way it's done in heaven. This is the way worship is done in heaven before the throne of God above. That's that's what happens here. Uh, So, uh, I want us to look at three truths we can learn about heavenly worship this morning. The first one is that heavenly worship is entered into through Christ. We have to say this to begin with. Because otherwise, the rest of this sermon is going to be completely and totally pointless. And I don't want y'all to sit through a pointless sermon any more than I want to preach a pointless sermon. That if you do not know Jesus Christ, you cannot, do not, will not, are not worshiping God. You can't do it. Um, have you ever heard somebody say remotely something remotely similar to this? Oh, well, well, Christians, Jews, and Muslims all worship the same God. They just think different things about Him. Have you ever heard somebody say that? Well, I mean no disrespect to anyone, but no, we don't. We don't. How do I know that? If you ask a Christian, a Jew, and a Muslim, is there one God? They will all say what? Yes. They'll all agree with that, right? If you ask a Christian, a Jew, and a Muslim, did God communicate with us via a book? The answer will be yes. If you ask a Christian, a Jew, and a Muslim, does God have a son named Jesus? The Christian will say yes. The Jew and the Muslim will say no. If you ask the question, is Jesus God? The Christian will say yes. The Jew and the Muslim will say no. If you do not know Jesus Christ as the Messiah, the Son of God, you are not worshiping the God of this book. It cannot be done. So, let's look at what John says in the first two verses here. He says, after these things, after what things? After the first three chapters that John has been exiled on the island of Patmos for the faith. Um, he, you know, he's, he, he's just one of those guys that just can't stop talking about Jesus, even when, even when people tell him not to. So they just decided if he won't stop talking, we'll just put him out on an island by himself. So they put him out on Patmos. And he was in the spirit. He's worshiping on, on Sunday, on the Lord's Day. And, and Jesus approaches him in chapter 1 of the book of Revelation and says, Hey, John, I've got a few things that I need you to deliver as messages to seven churches for me. And the next three chapters, the, the remainder of chapter 2 and chapter 3, uh, after chapter 1, excuse me, two chapters, Jesus gives John these messages for these seven churches in Asia Minor. And we just now finished those up last week. That's the things Jesus is talking about. So after this, this all happens on Patmos. That's where the scene is. But after these things, John looks up and sees a door standing open in heaven. He doesn't see the door open. He doesn't see how it got there. He just sees the door open. That a way forward from earth to heaven has been opened and the New King James, and I assume the, King James, the old King James, the old 1611, 
says something like this. And the first voice which I heard was, speak, uh, was like a trumpet speaking with me. Uh, that word order is a little confusing. Uh, when you get down to the brass tacks of it in the Greek, what John is actually saying is this verse, this voice like a trumpet that he's hearing is the same as the first voice he heard that was like a trumpet. And some other translations, the ESV, the New American Standard, they reflect that. That John is saying, hey, this voice that I'm hearing say, come up here and I'll show you the things which must take place after this. This is the same voice as the very first voice he heard at the beginning of this book. Who is the first voice that John heard at the beginning of this book? It was Jesus. It's Jesus addressing John. That the door in heaven is open and Jesus is saying, come up here and I will show you the things which must take place after this. So John, in going with Jesus, immediately I was in the Spirit and behold, a throne set in heaven and one sat on the throne. So my question to you, having seen this at the very beginning that has to be stated at the outset, if you want to stand before the throne of God, who is the one person that's going to get you there? It's going to be Jesus. If you want to know how to end up worshiping God before Him, if you want to know how one goes from earth to heaven and stands before God, the answer is, go with Jesus. That's how one gets there. Um, Y'all, the the purpose of, of creation is worship. The purpose for your life is worship. The reason that you are drawing breath right now is worship. I got a buddy of mine that I love with all my heart, but he's just as lost as a needle in a haystack. And he knows that because I told him that. And he was talking to me one day. He said, Josh, I've just got to find my purpose in life. I got to find, I, I, I need to know what I'm here for. I said, I'll tell you what you're here for. I said, you're here to know God through Jesus Christ, to worship Him and enjoy Him forever. Well, Josh, you, you know I'm not all that religious person. I said, I'm not talking about religion. I'm talking about the reason you exist. This is, this is not something that you separate from the rest of your life. Worship is not merely something you do on Sundays or somewhere you go. It is the reason you live. That worship is your purpose. It always has been. It always will be. And the purpose of the church is worship. So wait a minute, Josh, I thought we were here for missions. No, John Piper said it the best. Missions exist because there are places on earth that worship doesn't. There are people elsewhere in the world who aren't worshiping God because they don't know Him. They're not worshiping Jesus because they don't know Him. They're not filled with the Holy Spirit because they don't know Jesus. So what do we do? We send out missionaries to tell them about Jesus so that they can worship the one true God. Do you know one day there's going to be a day when missions no longer exist, but worship still does? Missions will not exist forever. Worship will. That The very purpose for creation is worship. The church does not primarily exist for our enjoyment. It exists for the purpose of worshiping God and that worship is enjoyable is a benefit. But much like John, you are never going to find your way into the presence of God if you do not know Jesus Christ. This is a roundabout way of me saying if you want to fulfill your purpose for existing... If you want to worship the way God intended you to worship, if you want to find meaning and purpose and value for your life, I mean, you, there is value for your life. I just want you to, to perceive that and experience, experience that yourself. If you want that, you've got to know Jesus because without Jesus, you can't worship God the way you were created to do. <clears throat> In John chapter 4, uh, I want to back up uh, to this for just a minute. That in John chapter 4, you have one of the more famous stories in the, the book of John, and it's the woman at the well. Um, now, I, I, I'm going to tell the abbreviated version of it because I've only got time for one sermon this morning. Um, but uh, Jesus runs across this Samaritan woman at, at, the, at the well, 
he, he's stopping to get something to drink. He's, he's tired. And uh, he starts talking to this woman. And she's shocked because uh, not only was it highly, highly, highly uncommon for a man to approach a woman in public and speak to her in, in private in that day and age, Jesus was a Jew and she was a Samaritan. And Jews and Samaritans did not get along. Uh, Jews viewed Samaritans as, as half-breeds. They were half-Jew, half-Gentile. They didn't agree with what was supposed to be included in the Bible. The Jews believed the, the whole Old Testament, the Samaritans. Um, they, they rejected part of it. The, the Jews worshipped at the temple in Jerusalem. The Samaritans worshipped on a mountain over here. And there were all kinds of disagreements here as to who was right and who was wrong. And <clears throat> the, the famous story, which is true, is that Jews would not walk through Samaria. They hated them so much that they would actually walk around their territory so that they didn't have to go through it. They considered them that unclean and that dirty and that undesirable. And so Jesus has walked up to this well and starts speaking to this Samaritan woman, and she's shocked already. Well, they start having this really deep spiritual discussion, and you hear things from Jesus saying phrases like living water and everything. Well, anyway, this woman... They get in this conversation about worship, which we'll talk about later, and she's confused. She says, there's so many different opinions about this, and you, you think one thing and I think another. And finally, she does say something wise. She says in verse 25, the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ, and when he comes, he'll tell us all things. She said, you know, one thing that we believe in, that Jews believe, is that ultimately Messiah is coming. When he gets here, he's going to straighten us out. And he's going to tell us how we're supposed to be worshiping. He's going to, be tell, he's going to tell us who's right, who's wrong. He's going to tell us where we're supposed to be and how we're supposed to do this and how we're supposed to worship God in a way that pleases him. And you know what Jesus says? Verse 26, Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. You're waiting for the one to come and tell you where you're supposed to be and who you're supposed to be and how you're supposed to live and how you're supposed to worship. And Jesus says point blank, I'm him. I'm the one you're waiting on. Stop looking for somebody else. Stop waiting on somebody else. Stop looking for the next book or the next podcast or the next TV show or whatever Dr. Oz says next or whatever Oprah says next or whatever Dr. Phil says next or whatever whoever says next. Stop looking for purpose in other places and just listen to me. If you want to know how to worship, you've got to go through Jesus. <clears throat> and then John 14, 4 through 6, Jesus said, where I go, you know, in the way you know. Jesus is getting ready to go and he, you know, he's kind of warning his disciples in advance, hey, I'm, I'm about to go be crucified. At that point, he had not said it in so many words. But he's telling him he's going away. He says, where I go, you know, and the way you know. And Thomas said to him, good old Thomas, I love him. He says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. And how can we know the way? <laughs> like, we don't know what you mean. And Jesus said to him, what? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is telling him, I'm getting ready to go back to the Father. And you know the way there. Jesus, how do we know how to get to the Father? We've been on this earth our whole life. Like We get that you came down from heaven and all that good stuff, but what about us? We don't know the way. Yes, you do. You know Jesus. Jesus is the way. That's how you get from earth to the presence of the Father. That's how you get an audience with God the Father. That's how you have a relationship with Him is by knowing Jesus Christ. And the good news is that's available to every single person in this room. It's free for you. It's high cost was already paid by Jesus himself. That if you want to be able to worship in the presence of God, if you want a relationship with the Father, there is only one way there. And it is through Jesus. Say, well, pastor, how do I have that? That's easy. You call on God and you ask him to forgive you of your sins based on what Jesus Excuse me, dead on the cross. You confess your sin. We say it every year at Vacation Bible School. Admit that you are a sinner. Believe that Jesus is God's Son. Confess Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. And you will be saved. ABCs. It's super easy. Now living the Christian life afterward is not all that easy. But starting your relationship with the Father through Jesus Christ is, is, is one of the easiest things you'll ever do. So first, 
Heavenly worship is entered into through Jesus Christ. So you're not going to... The, the rest of this sermon is not going to mean much to you if you don't want to go into God's presence through Jesus Christ. And I promise you, you don't want to go into God's presence any other way. You don't want that. So knowing Jesus, let's look at worship moving forward. First, heavenly worship is entered into through Christ. Second... Heavenly worship is focused entirely on God. And you'll notice this covers verses 3 through 7. Y'all, that's a lot of verses when you look at how long these things are. <clears throat> so I'm going to read them again just so you can hear all of the potential weirdness. Yes, you can admit it that some of this is weird. You can say that. It's not disrespectful. It's not rude. It's weird because you've never seen anything else like it. Okay? Look at verse 3. And he who sat there was like a jasper and sardius stone in appearance. Now what in the world is jasper? I don't know. Um, there's considerable debate on what jasper is. Um, the consensus kind of lingers somewhere around the diamond. That it's exceedingly clear. That jasper could very possibly be a diamond. Sardius is actually named after the city Sardis. Um, there's more confusion about this than Jasper, but it, the, the belief is that it was probably a deep red carnelian or ruby-like stone. So there would have been somewhat of a striking contrast between the clarity and purity of a diamond and the, the just ruby red strength of the power of this sardius stone. And he's not saying that the one on the throne is made out of diamond and, and sardius stone. That's not what he's saying. He's saying the one he saw on the throne was like a jasper in cardinal, or like a jasper in sardius stone. Then he says this. This is even more confusing. A rainbow around the throne. Y'all, uh, how, how many colors are in the rainbow? Seven. Roy G. Biv, right? Red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, violet. But then he says the rainbow was in appearance like what? Like an emerald. So was it a rainbow, but it was only green? Was it all seven colors, but it was glowing green? Was it all seven colors, but it just shimmered like an emerald? I don't know. But he saw that around the throne. And around the throne were 24 thrones. And on the thrones, I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white robes, and on their head, they had uh, crowns of gold. <clears throat> so these crowns are stephanoi. They are victor's crowns that normally we would think of them as garlands. Like what you would have given an ancient Greco-Roman athlete when they won a race or a wrestling event or something like that, that you gave them a garland for winning, except these are not made out of plants. These are made out of gold. So there's obviously some sort of authority here because they have crowns, but they're victor's crowns, but they're made out of gold and not out of leaves, and they're sitting on thrones, but their thrones are situated around this one big throne. Who are these guys? I don't know. Have you started to get the impression that there's a lot in heaven we don't understand? <laughs> this is totally unlike everything we see here. Are these humans that have been seated on thrones? I don't know. Are these angels that are seated on thrones around God? Possible. But what, what do angels have? To, normally when we talk about those who are victorious, we talk about those who have overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by our testimony, right? But I don't know if there's something in the past that angels have overcome that would warrant them. I don't know. And John doesn't tell me. So because John doesn't tell me and I don't know, we'll keep going. Verse 5, and from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, and voices. Some of your translations will read rumblings. Rumblings or thunderings. Or the, the idea is that there is a tumult coming from the throne. <clears throat> now, this is from the New International Commentary on the New Testament. 
They remind the reader of the great theophany, that's appearance of God, at Sinai when God descended in fire and smoke, heralded by thunder and lightning, that's in Exodus chapter 19. The association would remind the churches that the unapproachable and transcendent God of the heavenly vision is at the same time the God who redeemed a slave people Israel as a people for His name. Frequently in the Old Testament, God disclosed Himself and the dramatic activity of nature. And in Revelation, the symbols of thunder and lightning are always connected with a temple scene, the temple in heaven, and mark an event of unusual import. So you can file that in your toolbox for the rest of this sermon series over the next two years. (laughs) That... When you see thunder and lightning and rumbling in heaven, that is your hint. Something big is about to happen. Something big is about to happen. So God is letting it be known from His throne. An event of great importance is about to occur. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Again, that doesn't mean there are seven Holy Spirits. That means the completeness of the Holy Spirit is dwelling before the throne of God the Father. And before the throne... There was a sea of glass like crystal. Now, when you think about glass, you probably think, you know, like your windows at home, right? That you can see, or your windshield on your car. Uh, Probably that's a better better illustration right now because most of them are yellow currently, correct? Your windshields are yellow. And if you do like me, the first thing you do when you get in the car in the morning, even if it's bright and sunny, is you pop the windshield wiper fluid and you wipe some of the yellow off. Um, that because you like to see, you like your glass to be clear, right? That's what glass is supposed to be like. So this is not all that stunning for us. An idea of clear glass is amazing. It's amazing to them because in the ancient world, glass was very similar. If you could pick, you know, maybe a, a, a dark, you know, have you ever seen glass maybe from a really old window that has been broken for a long time and the dirt has kind of ground itself in? You can barely even see through it. Seen that? That's the way glass would have been in the ancient world. So clear glass was an incredibly expensive commodity. And you would not have had a lot of it. And what John is saying is there was this sea of glass. And it, it, it was all around the throne. It was like crystal. So imagine just for a second, I had never thought of this before until studying this. Imagine the play of lights and colors that are going on here. That The one on the throne is like a mix of a diamond and a ruby and there's a rainbow above him shimmering like an emerald and there's thunder and lightning and rumbling and all of that is reflecting off of this sea of glass that's below it. It would have been unbelievable to see. It's all happening right there. So you've got a sea of glass around the throne and around the throne... Oh boy, were four living creatures full of eyes in front and back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature like a calf. The third living creature had a face like a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. What are these? I know what these are. You didn't expect that, did you? Out of every weird thing going on up there, I know what these are. How do I know? Because Ezekiel chapter 1 told me. Ezekiel chapter 1 tells me exactly what these are. So I am going to read this at length because this was written hundreds of years before and y'all need to hear this to know that you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt where John is and exactly what he's seeing. See if any of this sounds familiar. Ezekiel chapter 1 verse 1. Now it came to pass in the 30th year in the 4th month on the 5th day of the month as I was among the captives by the river Chabar that the heavens were opened. Hmm. And I saw visions of God on the fifth day of the month, which was in the fifth year of King Jehoiachin's captivity. The word of the Lord came expressly to Ezekiel, the priest, the son of Buzi, in the land of the Chaldeans by the river Chabar. And the hand of the Lord was upon him there. And then I looked and behold, a whirlwind was coming out of the north, a great cloud with raging fire engulfing itself. And brightness was all around it and radiating out of its midst like the color of amber out of the midst of the fire. And also from within it came the likeness of four living creatures. And this was their appearance. 
They had the likeness of a man. Each one had four faces and each one had four wings. Their legs were straight and the soles of their feet were like the soles of calves' feet. They sparkled like the color of burnished bronze. The hands of a man were under their wings on their four sides and each of the four had faces and wings. Their wings touched one another. The creatures did not turn when they went, but each one went straight forward. As for the likeness of their faces, each had the face of a man. Each, had, each of the four had the face of a lion on the right side. Each of the four had the face of an ox on the left side. And each of the four had the face of an eagle. Thus were their faces. Their wings stretched upward. Two wings of each one touched one another. And two covered their bodies. Now that's interesting, isn't it? Doesn't that sound familiar? That's the exact same four animals. Well, wait a minute, Josh. John just said that they each had one face. And John said they have six wings. And Ezekiel said they have four. Y'all, what they said is what they saw. Now, frankly, I'm kind of of the mindset when all of this is going on, it is very possible that John saw six wings and Ezekiel only saw four. Okay, Ezekiel's just telling us what we have. Um, it also, in Ezekiel, you have, uh, if you keep reading this chapter, you'll see uh, the, the rainbow in verse 28, like the appearance of a rainbow in a cloud on a rainy day, so is the appearance of the brightness all around it. This is around the throne. You've got a firmament, that's the sea of glass, that you've got these four... That in Ezekiel chapter 10 verse 1 are referred to as cherubim. Now when you think of a cherubim or a cherub, what do you think of? You think of the little baby with the wings and the little arrow, don't you? The little bow and arrow. Y'all, is that anything like what is described here? No, these are creatures that would have terrified you. That they've got hooves and they've got wings and they've got multiple faces. And depending on your, your perspective, you've got either the six wings or the four. I don't know, maybe some cherubs have six wings and some have four. Maybe Ezekiel saw the traveling set and John saw the domestic set. I don't know. <clears throat> because in Ezekiel, they're carrying the throne. Which, by the way, in the ancient world, that was quite common that a ruler would have a mobile throne and he would have people that would move it. In John, this seems to be stationary. In Revelation, this seems to be stationary. But these are cherubim. Also, interestingly enough, in the Old Testament, uh, when God gave the instructions for building the temple, which is a shadow of the, the temple in heaven, right? That the temple is meant to be a picture of how worship occurs in heaven. What did God command to be put on the sides of the lid of the Ark of the Covenant? If you look in Exodus chapter 25, verses 17 through 22, for those of you keeping notes, you will find that God said to put cherubim. And you will find that that is where God met with His people, between the cherubim on the mercy seat. That was in the Holy of Holies where the high priest was only allowed to go once a year because it is akin to going in before the throne of God. That you have got some of the highest order of angels right here. They bear the throne, carry the throne, and attend the throne of God. Now y'all... Does John give you any application points for what to do with all of these strange, weird happenings here? Nope. And so I'm not going to either. But I am going to give you an application point from something that John very clearly does point out. Okay? I want you to count. I'm going to sum up what I just said and emphasize a couple of words as I do so. The one on the throne was like Jasper and Sardius stone in appearance. The rainbow around the throne was in appearance like an emerald. There were 24 other thrones around the throne on which were seated 24 elders. From the throne came lightnings, thunderings, and voices or rumblings. There were seven lamps before the throne. 
There was a sea of glass like crystal before the throne. In the midst of and around the throne were the four living creatures. What do you think John is focused on in this particular set of verses? The throne. So Josh, how in the world are you going to apply this? Really easily. If your worship is centered on anything else other than the one who is sitting on the throne, you've missed the whole point. Y'all, it's easy to get uh, caught up in the trappings of doing church. I know people who don't think they're worshiping if they're sitting in a chair instead of a pew. I know the reverse too. People who think they're not worshiping if they're, if, they're not, if they're sitting in a pew instead of a chair. I know folks who think they can't worship if the church looks like a storefront or if the church doesn't have stained glass windows. Y'all, not every church that has stained glass windows is a good church and not every church that is a storefront is a bad church. Though there are some bad ones of both. I know some folks who think they can't worship if they don't have a guitar and drums and a keyboard and smoke machines and lights. And I know some folks who think they can't worship unless they have a piano and an organ. I know some folks who think they can't worship if there, are, if there aren't speakers. I know some folks who, can't, who think they can't worship if there are speakers. I know some folks who can't worship if they're not wearing these particular clothes. I know some folks who can't worship if they're not wearing the other kind of clothes. Y'all, these are all sideshows compared to the one that's on the throne. Y'all, John was in heaven. He is surrounded by cherubim and the elders and a sea of glass and lightning and thunder and an emerald rainbow, whatever that looks like. And John was focused on the throne. So what is worship in light of this? Worship is exactly the way John lined up this chapter. The first thing, this is from the New International Commentary, the first thing John sees in heaven is a throne. The throne as a symbol occurs more than 40 times in the book of Revelation. If you went through the New Testament and counted the number of times you read the word throne, and you just randomly reached into a hat and pulled out four of them, three out of those four would come from the book of Revelation. Revelation is a book about who is on the throne. That's what it's about. Worship ought to be about who is on the throne. All day, every day, 24-7. No matter what else is going on, no matter what else you might see, no matter the beauty or the fear or whatever, it is all about who is on the throne. Listen to this. This is from the same chapter with the woman at the well. John chapter 4, verse 19. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews, but the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. That Jesus is saying, y'all are in an argument over something that you don't even grasp the truth of. Y'all are arguing because you want to worship on a mountain. Y'all are arguing because you want to worship in a temple. And the reality is, if you could see God in all of His glory, you would realize how silly this argument is. Y'all, we can argue about silly stuff, can't we? We can argue about real silly stuff. Let me get real personal with you for a minute. For years, when I was in college, 
I was a drummer, and I loved it. Still do, with my whole heart. I loved being loud. I embraced it a long time ago. That at my last church, my pastor asked me they wanted to add drums to the, to the worship service. And I was giddy. I was thrilled. And part of me died when I told him. I said, I want to real bad, but I just want to tell you. You got to put up a big plexiglass wall and you got to give me these little rods that I can play with because if you don't hem me in, you're not going to hear anything else. And I would love to just play full out. My friends learned not to tell me to play full out a long time ago because I'll blow an eardrum out, okay? I loved it. I did it for years. I still love it. Say, well, Josh, we we don't have drums here. We don't have guitars here. We don't have a lot of that stuff here. Can you worship okay? I sure can because it's not about that. There's only one throne that matters, and it's not the one the drummer sits on. It's the one that's smack in the middle of heaven. Because you know what? Say, well, Josh, I didn't see any drums or guitars up there. Yep, I didn't see pianos and organs either. What I saw were cherubim and lightning and thunder and rainbows and emeralds and diamonds and rubies. And frankly, the one who's sitting on the throne. That's the point. And if you ever find yourself caught up more in the trappings of how do we worship than who are we worshiping, you've missed the point. The throne is at the center. Jeremiah 7 verses 3 and 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your doings and I will cause you to dwell in this place. Do not trust in these lying words saying the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. God was telling them in Jeremiah, he had a bunch of folks who were claiming his name that were so excited to worship, quote unquote, because they were going to the temple. Man, God's going to bless us because we've got the temple. God's going to bless us because we're in the temple. God's going to bless us because the temple is here. The temple of the Lord this. The temple of the Lord that. The temple of the Lord this. And God said, y'all, this don't work. You bragging because you've got a temple, but I don't, I'm not anywhere in your heart. You're not living like you know me. You're not talking like you know me. You're not working like you know me. If you want to stay here with the temple, he says, amend your ways. Y'all, worshiping God is not coming into this building. Worshiping God is coming into His presence and letting Him come into you. You know what we would do if this building burned down tomorrow? Meet next Sunday on the rubble. Because this building has nothing to do with whether or not God is on His throne. This building has nothing to do with whether or not when you're in it. Ever heard of mama seeing a little kid? Don't you lie in church. So instantly, and that, I know the kid thinks this because y'all all thought it when you got told that. When you get told not to lie in church, what does that, where does that mean you can't lie? Out of church. <laughs> is God any more in here than he is out there? No. He's equally God in both places. So if you're one way in here, be that way out there. If you worship God one way in here, worship Him that way out there. If you wouldn't do it, say it, think it in here. Don't do it, say it, or think it out there. If you love Jesus in here, and you sing about Jesus in here, and you talk about Jesus in here, then you love Him, you sing about Him, and you talk about Him out there. It is the universal witness of Scripture that if we behave out there the way we behave in here, folks out there get interested about what's going on in here, and that's how folks end up in here. 
What keeps people out of here is when we act out there differently than we act in here. So heavenly worship is focused entirely on God. And then finally, heavenly worship is offered in perpetuity. And we'll close with this, verses 8 through 11. Now our cherubim, the four living creatures, each having six wings. So these are apparently the domestic variety. These are not your four-winged, wheeled Ezekiel variety. Each having six wings were full of eyes around and within. If you've got an NIV, your NIV might say that they've got the eyes even under their wings instead of within. That's because your translators are trying to figure out how you can have eyes inside you. But the literal Greek means that they have eyes inside them. Y'all, I don't know. I'm not going to try and explain it because John didn't. And they do not rest day or night saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. If you've ever heard the song, Revelation Song, then this is where it came from. If you've never heard the song, Revelation Song, go home and listen to it. It's amazing. It, It takes that directly. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne. You know the group casting crowns? They got their name from this verse. And cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. The notable occurrence in these verses is the perpetual nature of the worship. Living creatures, in addition to being attendants of the throne of God, seem to be his worship leaders. They seem to be his worship leaders. And the phrase, they do not rest day or night, seems to mean that there is a never-ending series of worship events with time in between them. Because then you hear that the 24 elders, when when they do this, when they give glory and honor and thanks, then the elders bow down and set their thrones before the one who is on the throne. So there is a never-ending cycle of the cherubim giving glory and the elders bowing down. Then after a while, the cherubim give glory and the elders bow down. Uh, So you've got that going on and they have this song that they consistently worship God for two things, for who He is and for what He's done. Does that sound familiar at all? What do we worship God for, y'all? For who He is and for what He's done. At what point in this worship do they talk about themselves? They don't. Later on, when you see the song of the redeemed, they're only going to mention themselves in passing because they're talking about what God has done for them. Worship of God takes place in perpetuity here. That there is a never-ending cycle of this. What's your application? Don't ever think you're done worshiping. One of the scariest things in the world for preachers, and I'm not saying this because there is one back there, and there's, I've actually got one in front of me too, just so you all know. One of the scariest things for preachers is a clock. Especially whenever you go into another church to preach. Like if you're preaching revival or something. I've seen this happen. You go into a church and you, like, you see we've got the cross in the baptistry back here. And that's mentioned to be very, that's, that's put up there to be very visible and very noticeable. Y'all, I've been in churches where in the back there's an LED clock about that big above the back door. Directly in front of the pulpit. Kind of like you need to tell the preacher, just want to let you know boss. We're watching you. I've known people before or have known preachers that said they had this person before. That they would have a, they'd have a a well-meaning individual that had a watch or a clock or something. When they hit 11.55, they'd stand up and go, wrap it up. One, I actually know one pastor that he said, I had a guy sitting on my back row that every day, at, every Sunday at 11.55, if I wasn't done, he'd just get up and walk out. <laughs> now, he found out later, he said, because he found out, he finally asked the guy, he said, why did you leave? He said, because I'm a 
I'm a diabetic. I have to take insulin. <laughs> He's like, I felt a lot better then. <laughs> but, but there are some people that will just get up and leave. Because we think of worship, and this is not my excuse to preach longer. I'm making a theological point. <laughs> we think of worship as something that takes place within a particular time period. And then when that time period is over, I can check that box off and then I'm done until next week. That's not what worship is, y'all. That you never stop, or you should never stop worshiping. You just stop worshiping here. That when you leave this hour of worshiping, you get in your car and you worship on the way home. You worship when you get home. Especially families with kids, grandparents. The worship you do at home and in the car and when you're out is more important than the worship you do here because that's the worship they're going to see the majority of the time. When they see you cuss at somebody in the car because they cut you off, that's going to just about undo everything that you tried to do in here. That worship should be a 24-7 kind of thing. It should be in perpetuity. The same way the cherubim never stop. The same way the elders never stop. Psalm 19, verses 1 and 2. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows His handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. The creation itself doesn't stop. Humanity is the only created order that from the beginning of creation on this earth, we have refused to do what God created us to do. Dogs have never stopped dogging. Deer have never stopped deering. Stars have never stopped starring, but human beings, by the third chapter in this book, stop worshiping. We're the only ones. Nothing else has. Then Luke 19, 37 through 40. Then as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Jesus, don't you hear they're worshiping you? Can you let them do that? And Jesus said, I tell you, if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. God is going to be worshipped. It's going to happen. It's happening right now. You know what the, the reality is? This chapter that you're reading right here in Revelation, it's happening right now. Right now, the cherubim are saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is.